This is Dr. Kate Eckert with the Form, Function, and Flow Lab podcast. I'm a chiropractor, yoga instructor, anatomy junkie, and movement educator. And I am looking forward to exposing you to all sorts of ways that you can prehab your body to avoid injury and maintain those hobbies, activities, sports that you love to do. And we'll also be focusing a lot on the pregnant and postpartum journey and making sure that you can return to those activities that you love or even keep doing them while you're pregnant. Hi, it's Dr. Kate, the Form Function and Flow Lab podcast, and today is another hip episode. So I had a hip injury last year. I've done a few episodes on what was going on with me. And funny enough, my dad also has a left-sided hip issue as well. Um, He's actually really flexible for a guy or, you know, a guy of his age. So I'm not sure if it was the same kind of degenerative process that my hip has undergone from my hypermobility because he never did a type of sport where it required him to overstretch and do the kinds of things that I did. His is probably from uh, intense use and that kind of thing, but who knows, you know, that's just all hypotheses. So um, he just had his hip replaced um, about a little over a week ago and he had a posterior hip replacement. So that's where they're cutting through your glute max, your external rotators of the hip, and the IT band. Um, So I just wanted to talk a little bit about the hip and all the things that um, contribute to the stabilization of the hip, how the hip moves and whatnot, and then what we plan to do with him to help his recovery be the best that it can be that might seem a little outside of the box. Um, So with the hip, we'll start there. That would be the joint where the top of your leg comes up and there's a ball sticking out of the femur. That's the head, the ball of the femur. And it comes in and sits in this cup-like acetabulum in the pelvis. And when that degenerates and isn't smooth anymore, or the labrum, which is that nice cushion between the two things, um, deteriorates, and you have issues, pain, lack of mobility. You can form um, different uh, lesions and stuff that are going to also give you pain and whatnot. So that is where the actual hip joint is, because often people come into the office and they say, oh, my hip hurts. And then they go and grab like their SI joint. So when we say truly your hip joint, it's the femoroacetabular joint. So femur and acetabulum, which is part of the pelvis. So that is that ball and socket joint that should have nice flexion, extension, abduction, adduction, circumduction, circular, all of those. So it should be this nice ball joint that runs smoothly. And essentially in a hip replacement, they take the ball off and they create this artificial joint. Now there are a ton of muscles in and around that act on, on that joint. And a lot of times, at least in my case, um, because of my ligament laxity, the ball of my femur is not sitting 
centrated within the acetabulum. So I try to do rehab or prehab exercises that encourage centration of that joint to stabilize it. So if I were to ever get a hip replacement, I would really want to double down and focus on um, keeping that artificial joint centrated so that it, I don't have issues with it. And that's, you know, long-term something we'll work on with my dad as well. But so you've got the bony attachment there, the ball of the femur sitting in to the acetabulum and the pelvis. Um, now for the muscles, some of the muscles that actually cross the joint, the hip joint, are psoas, iliacus, sartorius, TFL, and rectum. So broken down, your psoas, you might have heard of it, is a hip flexor. And it attaches from the, the spine, the vertebral bodies and the discs, they come off of here, cross over the ligament right um, at the top of the pelvis, and then attach down onto the femur, the leg bone, a little bony process on there. So it's one on either side, attaching to the spine itself, crossing over underneath a ton of um, abdominal stuff. So it's very hard to palpate. So if you're trying to work on it, it's very deep and very hard to access. And then it comes down and attaches onto the femur. So it's crossing right over the hip joint, um, not attaching into it or anything, but crossing over it. So when it contracts, it flexes the leg up. And there have also been some new research that when you're standing and you flex your knee up to your chest on the other side, um, your psoas is activating to bring that knee up. But on the other side, it's also activating to stabilize the spine because it attaches to the spine. The other interesting thing about the psoas is that, you know, it attaches to the spine and it goes under this little ligament which is called the medial arcuate ligament. And that's a tendinous fascia that arches over that muscle and it's coming from the diaphragm. So the diaphragm and the psoas have this fascial connection. Um, so breathing, your diaphragm is your breathing muscle and hip flexion are intimately tied together. Um, that's important to remember because that's going to be some of these early stage things that I'm going to do with my dad to help help him with his hip. Um, that's not going to seem totally tied to the hip itself. But remember, your diaphragm is intimately acting on your psoas and that is crossing over from the upper the torso to the leg. So it's crossing over that hip joint area. Um, the next is iliacus. So psoas is attaching to the spine and then coming down to the femur. Iliacus is attaching to the, it's in the name, so the ilium down onto the leg itself. So it actually attaches where psoas does. So they come together and attach onto the leg. 
So it's also doing hip flexion. It's a major player in drawing your knee up and doing that hip flexion action. Now, sartorius or the tailor's muscle attaches from the pelvis and crosses over the front of the femur, the leg down to the knee. So it actually crosses two joints. So it's bringing the knee up and out because it's at that diagonal pattern. Um, and it's also crossing over that hip joint. Um, now TFL is, it's got a, like a little roll in hip flexion. It's a small muscle. It feeds right in the IT band, which gets all the glory because that you know, people have heard of the IT band usually, but not so much the TFL. So TFL feeds into your IT bands. The, the last hip flexor that I'll talk about is rectus femoris. So rectus femoris is actually just one part of your quad muscle. So your quad, quad meaning four, there's four parts to it. Vastus medialis, vastus lateralis, vastus intermedius, and rec fem. So rec fem is the only one that attaches up onto the pelvis. So all the other quad, the three other quad muscles are um, extending the knee, but rec fem also flexes the hip because it crosses that joint. Um, now the other muscles I wanted to talk about are your groin muscles. So now why would that be important? So groin muscles, you know, people will come in and say, I hurt my groin. So groin is usually referring to the adductors. So if abduction, that's talking about the motion. Abduction takes your leg away from the midline. A deduction or the adductors brings your leg towards the midline. So that's that groin area. If you're doing like the thigh master would be bringing the legs together. Um, the adductors, there are a few of them. There, you know, there's a bunch. We've got adductor longus, adductor brevis, adductor magnus, gracilis, and pectineus. Pectineus is really short and um, it actually helps to stabilize the hip joint because it's taking the femur and it's bringing it midline and it's helping with centrating the ball of the femur into that joint. Now, um, there, there's stability happens with all of the adductors for the pelvis and they're very key in that stability of the hip joint. So it's very important to work on those and tap into those when you're working on a hip injury or rehabbing your hip replacement later on. Um, now, obviously you've also got those external rotators that get, got cut or will be um, cut through for the surgery and your glute max and IT band that are gonna need attention as well. So the external rotators also help centrate the joint and are very important. So those are the gemelli, obturator internus, and they stabilize the hip joint dynamically, just like pectineus. And glute max, that big muscle, 
it attaches onto the femur, but it also feeds into the IT band. So IT band is that tendon that I said the muscle for it was TFL, but it's also coming from glute max. So really you're taking a glute muscle, which you usually people think of the glute muscle as like doing bridges and that kind of thing. But because it feeds into the, to the IT band, it goes all the way down the side of the leg and connects down past the knee, making it um, involved in the knee as well. Um, so that whole chain gets affected by your surgery. Um, so now do you want to talk a little bit about what things I plan on doing early on with my dad for a little more outside of the box thinking. So right now he's getting, um, PT to, you know, slowly work on some very easy, basic, um, muscle engagement kind of things. And that is great. And they do other modalities there as well. So that is good. What we're starting with is we're going to start with some breath work, which we talked about how psoas and diaphragm are tied together. But the other thing with breath work is that it helps to downregulate your nervous system and help regulate that pain response um, as you're recovering. And the other thing I haven't talked about, I don't think, in any of my my online content, but I plan on doing diaphragm vacuums with him. Now, diaphragm vacuums are a little bit different, and they are, can be awkward at first and maybe hard to learn, but hang in there if you want to explore something like that because you will get better at them. It's just like learning something new. It just takes time to build those pathways in your brain. But a diaphragm vacuum is when you take an inhale and then you exhale all the air out. And then without inhaling, you expand the rib cage. So you're not inhaling, but you're you're inhaling and letting the rib cage pop open without taking that breath in. So what happens instead of the lungs inflating, they're not getting air in. So as you expand out, it tractions the diaphragm up and creates a vacuum in your abdomen. So the diaphragm's getting pulled up like a little parachute. And remember, there's the little... Um, medial arcuate ligament from the diaphragm that is where the psoas sneaks under the parachutes being pulled up and diaphragm or the diaphragm which is the parachute gets pulled up and then psoas can try to slide on easily under that medial arcuate ligament so we want that ease of movement of psoas through the medial arcuate ligament um so with that, with the diaphragm vacuum, if you're lying on your back, then you can um, slide your leg out, reach your arms above you. So you're really tractioning out your body to get that um, ease of movement between psoas and diaphragm. Um, so that's another type of breath work that we really haven't gone over on any of my stuff, but 
that's also something that really helps with that connection between diaphragm and psoas. <clears throat> Another thing that we're going to dive into um, is rock tape. It's just a brand, but kinesio taping, um, cupping. I use a variety of different cups. I like to be able to move them back and forth. You can do, you know, use different kinds or leave them static or use the movement. I like to do um, some movement because I like to facilitate better lymph flow. And um, if you've followed my stuff, you've probably heard me say that a stagnant lymph system leads to inflammation and we want as much healing to take place as quickly as possible. So we really want to keep the lymph system moving and filtered as well as we can. So we can do taping for better lymph, lymph movement. We'll do cupping for better lymph movement. And then I'll have him dry brush twice a day for better lymph movement. So dry brushing uses that light stimulation of the skin, which helps get your lymph system moving. I have all my pregnant patients do it. I have anyone with a chronic autoimmune issue do that. Um, it just helps with better movement of your lymph system. I'll also do some manual muscle work for where he might be tight or compensating from using a cane. Um, once his incision is healed, we'll use rock blades or any other type of um, tool-assisted uh, myofascial release on the scar. He has a cordless ball. We'll use the cordless ball to work on that scar tissue mobilization and structuring. Uh, once he gets a little further out, we'll do balance work and then we'll start having him do um, some single leg movement, uh, split squat, adductor engagement, external rotator integration for joint centration, hip hikes, quad development, because it's going to be very... It's very easy to lose a lot of strength, especially because you might have been altering how you do things and babying it without knowing it prior to surgery, too. So we want to keep that um, strength equal side to side. And I don't think I had mentioned, I forgot about this, but I really like vibration tools when we're trying to... Um, reconnect with the tissue, bring awareness to an area that's been cut into again. So we'll start with soft vibration, super soft, super gentle vibration around the areas that um, need more connection and integration. So those are some of the outside of the box things we're going to try um, with him because he loves to get back to doing the things that he loves probably almost more than I do, which is saying a lot, but he has big goals and wants to be skiing next season. So if you have any questions on the why behind some of the stuff that we're going to do, just let me know. And yeah, we'll keep you updated on all the good hip, hip stuff coming up. So have a great night.
I look forward to working with you guys. And if you have any topics that you'd like discussed, make sure to comment below and let me know because I'd be happy to share all the knowledge that I have on those issues.